Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. I am joined by my fabulous co-hosts, Josue Cardona and Brian Peace. Hi, hi. Good morning. Good morning, guys. And we are also joined by our guest, Mr. Alan Turner from DePaul University. Oh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I guess it's morning here. Who knows where what it is where where you're at when you're listening to the podcast? But <laughs> so I guess good morning, good afternoon, good evening. There we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we are talking to Alan because uh, we talked to Menachem a few podcasts ago, Menachem Cohen, and Menachem brought up the work of Edregor, which is a game that I don't even know how to explain what Edregor does. It does an amazing job of. Uh, bringing allegory to our culture, I believe. Um, and Alan has been instrumental in trying to introduce this idea of bringing culture into our role-playing games. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this, Alan, and I hope I'm representing the game well here because uh, I, I want people to get excited and go and check it out. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's I guess it's kind of a hard thing to represent in a nutshell. Um, it always takes me a little while to explain it to people. Um, and it's interesting that um, you put forth the idea of me trying to introduce culture. And I guess I would argue that all games, um, all especially all role playing games, have a certain level of, of culture already. You know, there in them. Um, I think the only thing I'm doing with Edgegor is actually mindfully saying, "Hey, this is this is the cultural lens that I want you to view your playthrough." Um, as opposed to just kind of falling into like, you know, the generic, um, defaults. Yeah. 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 And I may not be, uh, saying what it's actually on my mind cause I'm not, uh, I'm not good with words this morning apparently, but, um, uh, what my, my impression was that you are bringing a different view to the role-playing game so that we can better look at it what we're going, what's going on in our world right now. I mean, I, I know you didn't make this in relation to COVID, but you did make it in relation to kind of uh, 21st century mindset and the kind of stuckness that we're in as, as a world. So, uh, yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm leaning towards when I say culture. That's a really small umbrella for a big term. Sure. No, it's, um, and, and that's true. There is a, um, Edgegore is this, is this setting that, one, I've, I guess I had two real big goals. Goal number one was to create a, a place that was as inclusive as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And two, to create a, a space where people could engage it, you know, however they wanted to engage it, right? So there's the very most, topmost level of it, which is just bashing monsters at night. <laughs> um, and then as you go deeper, it's the, it, it takes as a focus um, community and the, the need to kind of be aware of each other and witness each other through through um, hard times. Um, otherwise, if we if we fail to do that, there's a slow creep, and then the game is represented with the idea of sorrow, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because I, I think that a lot of games tend to focus in on good versus evil, and that evil is like the is the big thing that destroys everything. And Edgeware says it's not really evil; it's like this slow giving up, right? There, there's like all these things that pick at our sense of self, our sense of worth. Um, our capacity to move forward. And um, if we're not careful, they kind of take root and they um, they kind of pull us down. And so sorrow has this capacity to kind of get inside of you. It builds and it builds and people stop witnessing you. You eventually fade out of the world. 
And and for me, that was more a, a nod towards what I see as an e epidemic of depression all around us. There are so many things uh, whittling away at people that we just kind of lose connection. We lose track. We lose space. We fall away from um, kinship and we just kind of fade out. You know, there's um, we, lo we lose our place in the world. So there's a uh, there, there, there's an attempt to create a, a narrative space um, where the which is much more about storytelling and creating creating the idea that that the stories that we create around us um, and in our day to day those are the things that, that either pull us through or hold us down and if we can become mindful of the of the stories and invoke those stories and use those stories as uh, tools to lift us up. We can we can do all this awesome stuff and make all these changes in the world around us. Can't disagree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. So so thinking about this, you're you're giving us a story to hang ourselves on so that we can better see the ways that we are being minimized and and have a chance to at least role play the idea of getting up and facing this sorrow, facing this depression that, that you're seeing all around you. And there, and, there, and there's this thought that, so in, in, in Edgewar, there are these, these creatures called shivers and shivers, mm -hmm. um, are basically this, this terrible horde that comes at night and tries to, to devour everyone in sight. And the, one of the ideas behind the shivers is one, you know, I didn't want to have racial monsters. Right, I didn't want to have like orcs and goblins and these 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 bad people who are inherently e evil. What it was a representation of um, of anxiety and 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 all the destructive things that that kind of overwhelm us. But also this thought that there is a we all have a night, right? There there is no matter what you do, <laughs> no matter who you are, at some point the darkness is going to come, um, and. The, one of the thoughts there is that in that darkness, we, we, we do need to kind of build circles um, that help see us through the darkness and, until, you know, the morning comes. So there, so there is a, an allegory for just kind of pushing through those hard times, um, just just in those monsters. But, you know, again, you don't have to engage that. You know, there, there's, there's not a, a ham-fisted, oh, my God, you're going to dig into what it feels like to be depressed and blah, 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 and, and whatnot. There's just more an, an empathic space that says... Um, Hey, you know, just beat the monsters up if you want to, but stop and think about what those monsters are. Um, where do they show up in your life is is the, the deeper approach to it. Oh, yeah. I love that. Is that something, is, is the shiver something, uh, or the concept of not having a racial um, uh, enemy, uh, something that is built into the, the into fate, or is it something that you introduced? Like, is that just a decision that you made? That's just a decision I made. I mean, you know, there, there is a, a big tradition in a lot of fantasy games, right, of, of uh, having the, the bad monsters, the, yeah. uh, the, the bad races uh, that are, that are hell-bent on taking over the world. Yeah. And I decided early on that Edgeworld was going to be a humanocentric world, when the, there, are, there are all shades of humans. And actually, if anything, there are more shades of brown humans than anything in Edgeworld. And um, that none of that none of those would be inherently bad, though they they can make terrible choices, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and also, this is a world that is recurring from multiple cataclysms, and so for the first time in a long time, the people of the world are are having spaces where they can feel relatively safe, even though the, even though terrible things are happening on a regular basis, 
um, they're safer than they've ever been. Um, and so they're starting to settle into larger and, and larger groups. And with, with that safety comes certain levels of complacency. And with that complacency comes the beginning of different hierarchical structures where people are trying to figure out who's disposable and who's not. And much of Edugore is coming from the point of view of nobody is disposable, but they're, they're this thing that comes with the trappings of society and agriculture that sometimes causes that to happen. And so a, a large part of uh, um, you know, game mastering the game is, is in addition to, to monsters, thinking about the monsters that people can become. Yeah. But the but with the thought that no no type of people is inherently a monster, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So just to fill in our listeners and our sway, because you know it occurs to me that not everybody knows about fate. Just so we can don't get hung up on that. Um, fate is a bare bones system. It's rules light, so that people can take the system itself and make it into literally whatever they want to. So in a sense, the idea of good versus evil isn't even part of it because there's no story to fate. Fate isn't a world. Fate is just a role-playing game system that you can tailor to your own needs. And, and what, I, what I especially loved about fate, um, I mean, first, I, I would even argue that it's not necessarily a rules light system. It's, it's just a narratively focused system. Because yeah. the way you engage the rules of fate is actually fairly complicated. And I've discovered with some people, um, they have to struggle a little bit to kind of make the, the, the sideways adjustment to the way that um, the way that you play it. Um, but yeah, the, um, one, one of my attractions to fate, though, was, was the focus on what they call aspects. And um, aspects being like these narrative tags that are attached to your character that help define who you are. And there, there is this capacity to begin playing just with those narrative tags and not having to worry about skills and powers and all that jazz. Um, and just say, I'm, I'm, this is who I am. And so like with, uh, when, when I'm working with, with people who are new to this stuff, I would often kind of um, put it in the context of something like um, Spider-Man, right? Where um, Spider-Man has, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man has, you know, the, the, the whole situation with Uncle Ben and that's a terrible thing that, that leaves him um, with a bad moment. But that bad moment um, comes with, with, with this, this lens and this conviction. And that conviction manifests in this, this little narrative that he, made, he keeps that is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And so when, when he is in tough, tough moments, um, he can invoke that, that, uh, uh, that idea of with great power comes great responsibility. And that gives him a boost to actually um, change the moment, right? Uh, but at the same time, it causes drama for him. So when he would, when when he might otherwise want to walk away, um, that that tag can be compelled to uh, to draw him into drama and say, "Hey, you can't walk away because with great power comes great responsibility," right? And so building a game around those kind of narrative tags, where the for the first goal is to get people to to create a narrative history of who they've been. And then have that narrative history intertwined with the other players so that when we look back and say, um, you know, what is the history of our world? There's there's the overall generic history of, of the world as presented by the game, but there's the particular history of the world as presented by um, the, um, the interest in the intersection of, of all the players. So um, fate has this 
has this uh, phase-based process for making characters where you go through like these different phases of like of of where you were and you create a narrative tag based on that. And what I did was took that and kind of mixed it with a um, a, a Lakota tradition from from my own tribe, which is called the Winter Counts. And the idea of the Winter Counts is, you know, it, it, um, we were uh, nomadic peoples and, um, you know, winter was hard. Winter in the Midwest um, and, you know, in the plains and whatnot was, was terrifying. And so you, it, when the winter was, go was gone, we had to stop and take um, take stock of who was still here. <laughs> um, and then look look back on the year and kind of kind of identify the year with a... Uh, um, with a little bit of story that says what that what was the biggest um, thing that happened in that year, so you get all these players that kind of talk about the the years and struggles that their players that their characters have gone through, name those years and struggles as the winter of this and the winter of that, and then to create um, these kind of aspects out of that that says this, this is how that that moment shaped me. Um, when, when we're all said and done, if, we, if we've got four players and everyone is making what six um, six winters. We've got a total of like like twenty four year points that we can go back to and say this is the the milieu of our world. This is this this is these are the important things that we need to be mindful of because you're still with us, right? If you survive through um, the 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 winter of of um, of dry waters where there's lots of drought and you lost family, um, as an adult, you a part of you is still in that place, right? A part of you is still dealing with the fact that you lost brothers and sisters or or your family had to move or whatever that struggle is, that is still coloring how you engage with the world. So having that, once 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 I started doing that with people, I realized how powerful that was because um, the players were in it, right? They they, they, they were, they're, they personalized, they had metabolized the space. They didn't even care about the rest of the world. They just, they just um, had a sense of, I belong to the people who were there at the table with them. And, and when I saw that in action, I was like, oh, well, wow, this is actually, really, really mighty. Um, how, how do I start building more uh, play structure around this? There's a sense at looking at the game itself that, uh, so I did say that it's kind of reflective of where we're at today, but one of the things I'm noticing in your story is that there's a sense that you are always fighting against something. There's no stillness, there's no peace. Uh, except for maybe the piece that comes between moments when the shivers or the sorrow or whatever it is impacts the world that you're in. Is it your sense of the world right now that we are constantly fighting to be alive and that to be alive is to take action on a daily basis? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, I guess sort of. I, I think I would uh, the, way, the way I would um, frame it is that not so much that we're constantly fighting, but we're always affected. Right, um, that we live in an ecology, and that, eco that ecology is a collection of things affecting things affected by things. That there's always forces in play, and never is it just about you. Even though that might be all you can see, um, there, 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 there's so much more in play at, at any given time. And so it's more to me about being mindful of all the pieces that are in motion. And that there, that there is peace, but the peace is found in, in the moments in between and in the moments of witnessing each other. Um, just the time for me to sit down and talk to you is, is us actively creating a moment of peace um, so we can see each other and recognize um, that 
we 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 have medicine for each other and as i'm looking at it it also looks like the more that you gather together as a group the more that you are able to deal with this the the things that come against us whatever they are it's it's like banding together creates strength and therefore we have a better chance of dealing with the shivers and the sorrow yeah and 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 there's also the this idea that um even though you still get things like you know skill points and and whatnot to grow um within the, over the course of the game if you play a long-term campaign the growth um the real growth of the character is in kinship and in narrative so the more you do for your community the more intertwined you are in your community um the the and and the more powerful and the more responsible you are to that community and then there is also this this sense of and this kind of runs through um all the all the stuff that i do these days this idea that um there, there there's a sense of apotheosis that you can continue to to get greater in in the story and eventually move into a place of great eldership where um the those those who come after you will, will, will look to you for guidance um they will see you as you know the light that pulls them through there's all that all that kind of stuff so um there there's the presumption that over time you you can you can be so intertwined with um your deeds and your narrative and your story and your connections that that is what elevates you to a whole other level of being I was, I was, I was, I was stuck on the idea of the like you talked about the past, right? That everybody comes into the to the game with a, with having experienced something in the past, and I was just curious. Like it reminds me of world building. Like that's my favorite thing in um in any narrative, right? Like oh, like oh, what happened before? What, what? Why are things the way they are? Why are people the way they are? And um, so I was curious if uh, Edrigor, if everyone in the game is sharing a past like like all of these um cataclysmic events they're all being shared or do does each character have their own um individual one and then they're brought together by empathy or is it a shared you know trauma that that kind of bring them brings them together at the beginning uh, um so it's a little bit of both right so okay. when, when we sit down to make our winters um initially the winter questions are focused around who who you are and what you've done, but it is, but it is an exercise of group world building. Got it. So, um, I might ask you, um, um, in the winter of childhood remembrance, what's, um, what was the thing that allowed you to survive as, as a child? Um, before your 10 years, excuse me, before your adolescent years kicked in and, and, and you had to depend on other people for your survival, um, talk about a moment that that really impacted you as as a as a as a little one. Um, everybody has to do that. Everybody has to do that on the table, uh, at the table. And as we're doing it, we're jotting down our notes, but watching how the story that I'm creating might affect the story that you're creating. And then after a while, we get to a point where um, I ask everybody to look at the stories that are on the table, and then talk about where you were while a particular story was happening. Mm. What's your connection to this person? Um, that way, everybody at some point is tied to somebody else's narrative. Yeah. And then um, towards the end of that, there is a, you know, where where are we at? How, how do we all come together? But um, it, when, when it's all said and done, you'll have six or seven different winters that you've survived through. 
um, and at least one of those winters, one at least at least one of the other players is involved in that story. So there there is a process of unifying everybody through the through their their, their personal prehistories, making it personal to you, but then saying even though it's personal to you, it still affected somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. One of the things that I'm thinking of, so you said you're, you you know it's not heavy handed in the sense that you always have to deal with depression. But and Hostway have I and I have had conversations about this idea that you know maybe therapy is not the way that everything gets fixed, uh, and a lot of therapists, myself included, kind of have held the idea that if, if everybody just gets therapy, we'll be okay. It's 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 a one shop fits all kind of model, and if we look at this game as a potential for making changes in people's lives without being heavy handed, what, what is the impact that you hope to have? And what is the impact that you've seen as a result of people playing the game? Hmm. Um, I guess um, I would say that if, if people are playing, I, I, it, it depends on how people are approaching the game. Um, but I think that that overall that space of paying attention to each other's stories, um, I think there is a a, a, therape a therapeutic space of empathy there. Where um, once once we have so let me back up. Um, so the character creation process that I have in the game, mm -hmm. um, I eventually I eventually noticed that it was it would seem to be working so well with people that I extracted it from the game and use it in, in my youth work. And when I sit down with um, with young men and women, um, and I'm preparing to prepared to do some kind of teaching with them over the course of like you know however many weeks, um, the first thing I do is a winter count with them um, and ha get them to go through this process in their real life as opposed to like in a fantastic life, um, and and just watching how people coming into the space come into a space with a presumption that nobody understands what I've been through. And then once all the stories are on the table, um, there's, there's invariably a response of like, Oh, wow. That's just like what happened with my grandma. Oh, wow. Um, um, that's, that, that's, that's what happened when my friend died and realizing that while you were suffering through all this other stuff, these other people were suffering through their things and, and some of their things were related to what you were suffering too. And so, so there's a capacity to now have a conversation um, and break down some barriers where they maybe wouldn't have if I had just sat them down in a circle and said, okay, um, tell, me what, tell me what you're going through. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of something that a, a friend of mine uh, said during a particularly, I guess we'll call it a spiritual experience. Uh, he said, uh, we are all alone, but we are together in our aloneness. It, it fits that, you know, because we're all going through something and then we come together and we get to share that. And that can be really affirming because, you know, I'm, I, I had my experience, but I had some similar experiences to what you had. And, and I'm not alone in this, you know, in what I've gone through. Yeah. And and also that that once you know that other people are going through similar things, you don't have to be alone. Right, I, I think in, in the social spaces that we exist in these days, there's a tendency to do a couple things. Um, thing number one is to there's an equity in our suffering, that there's a certain identity that we build um, with with the wounds that we carry, and we wear them like badges, um, and and define ourselves often 
by with the thought that I'm the only one who's 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 experiencing this. And though we want people to see it with compassion, um, we also are struggle against people taking it away from us because that's that's what we've been through and that's who we are. So so to see that other people are are engaging in actually engaging and surviving through similar things, um, that's that's a big wake up moment for a lot of people. Um, and then um, the other one is dragon slaying, right? Where there there's this this there are threats everywhere. We get into these once we kind of have all these wounds that we've identified identified ourselves with the wounds, we become so hyper vigilant about all the possible threats that are out there to us and to our wounds. And so there's 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 a tendency to to identify everyone around us first off as what kind of dragon could they be, um, and how do I shut it down, and to kind of create a space where um, the presumption is there aren't dragons, um, you know that that um, there's just people again there there isn't an inherently monstrous thing, um, there's there are there are others who've been affected by stories, and some of those stories. Um, led to decisions that are made in the moment um, because that's what was needed to survive. But just because you made that decision in the moment doesn't mean that that needs to be your tradition. That doesn't that doesn't need to be the thing that keeps carrying you forward. Um, there's But there is a lens there that um, once you can identify the lens, um, instead of being puppeted by it and have it all, having it always affect, you know, how you're looking at everyone, everyone, everyone else around you and seeing dragons, you can choose to turn it on or off and and use it to focus in when you need to so getting um getting people into a circle going through this process getting them aware of of uh, a handful of their lenses and then of course there's no way to identify every single lens everyone is is working with every every single story that people are carrying um getting a handful of them and watching and being able to watch that handful interact with another handful of stories um, is an interesting process because you'll start to see people's relationships to their stories begin to change over time. And and you've seen this in your in the games that you've I guess in the games you've run, you've seen that. I've seen it in the games I've run and I've also seen it just in in the um, the programs I've run. So again, um just by just by u- using this as an opening ritual to my um to my programs um has had a profound effect on just relationships that that the kids build with each other. And and it's funny because it seems like such a stupid little thing, like, like oh hey everybody let's sit down and tell some stories, <laughs> and and um, but w- but when the stories are real, um, there is a uh, there are connections built and and it's it's really really powerful. And then when it comes back to just straight up role playing, I think whenever we sit down to to do any kind of role playing, that there is a tendency, and and it's greater for some and lesser for others, but there's a tendency to put a piece of one of our stories into the characters that we make. I certainly know that, that, that I've done that where, um, you know, I, I've made evil characters who were bad, um, but their badness came from something that maybe I had some some relational um, connection to. I've had good characters who um, were, were really uh, hooping and hollering around particular convictions or, or moralistic ideas that I personally had. Um, and so there's always like bits and pieces of myself being manifested um, and, you know, there's kind of a, there's a, there's a projection of me in, into this other world, even though it's not the whole of who I am. Um, yeah. it, it, it is a, it, it's certainly a, a sliver and that, that's, that sliver can grow and change. It's, it's kind of cool because within that play space, we kind of give ourselves permission to explore 
that piece of ourselves, either mindfully or, or unmindfully. I know that within the that within that circle, like with my friends back in the day, if I was playing a bad guy, they knew that I wasn't bad, that it wasn't a reflection on Alan per se. But they but after, but after numerous sessions with me and after numerous characters from me, they could learn to recognize what was an Alan character and what drove that character and how to interact with that character. Well, it's kind of um, what we've done throughout the ages. Um, we've used stories to get to root causes of problems. We've done, we've used stories, fables, parables, um, et cetera, to teach. And here lately it's become the point where stories are pure entertainment and stories and people get upset whenever a story is supposed to communicate something because they say stories shouldn't be used to communicate things. Stick to entertaining. Like, Have you not paid attention to like all of recorded and unrecorded history? <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I especially see that um, in a lot of our pop media spaces as, as those spaces have started to become much more diverse. And I'm, 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 I'm certain we've all seen moments of it in it's like in comic books right where um someone starts to someone comes in and they're they're making a character be a character of color or they're given experience that comes from a woman's point of view or they're making a character who is queer or trans whatever and there are all these people who, who like lose their minds going oh my god you're trying to politicize my comic books um you're you're up here um trying to bring an agenda to my comic books and comic books are just entertainment and somewhere along the line um Partly because of, of privilege and the idea that that, that, that certain experiences have been normalized, um, there's this presumption that they, these things are, have always only been entertainment, when in reality they've always been about something. You know, Captain America was um, was dealing with with, with, with some stuff. Um, um, everybody was fighting against a, a thing that was a real world thing that we were, that the comics were, were using uh, were allegories for for playing through. Not to say that they're necessarily deep, um, any, any kind of deep uh, fiction back in the day, um, but they've certainly grown to that point now where we're much more mindful of the stories that we're creating. And, and I think that's, in, at the, in the long run, that's the goal is to say, um, we've got all these stories, we need to be mindful of the kind of stories that we're making. Not to say that they can't be entertaining, um, but recognizing that just as, just as much as a story can lift you up, um, a story can can also poison you if it gets if it gets caught inside of you somehow or another. Well, I mean, l looking back at um, the original creation of, say, Spider-Man, Stanley proposes this idea of a spider-based hero who's a teenager who's kind of a nerd and going through being picked on, and his editors were like, eh, "No one wants to read about a nerd getting picked on who gets superpowers." Well, like, except nerds who get picked on who want freaking superpowers. And then they come up with the X-Men, which is an allegory for racial discrimination. And then they one-upped it with the new X-Men whenever they had um, Wolverine and Storm and Colossus. They said, you know what? Let's do what they did with Star Trek. Let's just have someone from almost every nationality come in and see how the, see how they also deal with this, this discrimination. And in um, Tales of Future Past, where... Um, where they're dealing with legislation actually being passed to corral these uh, these mutants, who who steps up and gives the big speech? A little Jewish teenager. So I mean, 
if people think that comics have always been entertainment, they haven't actually read them. <laughs> yes, they have not yeah. been paying attention. There are lots of Nazis were punched in comics before uh, we got to the Punisher. <laughs> Literal and figurative. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and it seems really strange to me to divorce what we're doing, whether it's the games we play or the, the quote-unquote entertainment we watch, from the base from which they come, which is, you know... These things are all coming from somewhere. You know, one of the things I remember from talking to Menachem is this idea that, yeah, he's playing this character in this game, but where does the character come from? It comes from his history, interacting with someone else's history to create this character. And the bleed, you know, that, that part of you that's coming into the story in the game is, is real and it happens for everyone. And I think what we're hearing when we see someone who says, I just think this is entertainment. What we're really hearing instead is, I'm not willing to accept this particular reality right now. Can you just placate me? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a vocal minority of people who complain when something like, you know, like Spider-Man gets replaced, quote unquote, you know, by a by a, a black Puerto Rican character named Miles Morales. Some people freak out, but. I th I think that it's it's the same thing. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Now it's harder for me to see myself in that character. And it's because um some people aren't able to look past the 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 aesthetics of it or the or the you know, the visual layer when really the reason why we enjoy so many of these stories is because we see ourselves in them already. Um and yeah, it's it's it we don't do that enough, right? Like we don't spend enough time in our lives, sitting down with people and looking at what we have in common or what similar similarities we have or what experiences we've shared. And I don't know, like thinking about COVID, right? That's one thing that's been amazing is that for, for the first time in my lifetime, um, the entire world is going through one thing at the same exact time. And it is, it is fascinating to see how people are experiencing that and coming both coming together and, and affecting each other. And it's like, there's, there's, we all live in the United States. We're seeing um, people take certain actions that do affect everyone, right? <laughs> um, in a, in a, possibly in a literal sense. Um, we've seen, you know, these, these case studies of like, oh, this person did this one thing and this many people got sick, this many people died, this many people. Like, I've never been able to like have that narrative be a part of it's we're living in a dystopia right now right like i, I always joke that we're living in the apocalypse and and <laughs> the more you talk about it, it's like oh yeah yeah <laughs> like i well, feel like i've practiced before <laughs> this before <laughs> well kind of looking back at the comics in a way specifically yeah. spider-man yeah um when spider-man was first created he was a character a character called the other someone who is not part of normal society the way the way that your standard person looking at entertainment views quote unquote normal society he was a nerd he was outside normal society then you had spider-man 2099 which was a south american spider-man from a far future dystopia where he was a good person living in a corporate dystopia a corporate dictatorship so he was other from his current scenario then you have miles morales who is biracial and back going back to being a kid again and dealing with those childhood things, but also dealing with um, 
discrimination. So he became the other. They're, they're trying to keep Spider-Man true to his roots. And it's hard to do that whenever Peter Parker has joined society and the geeks have inherited the earth. So he's no longer the other. Kamala Khan, same thing. Miss Marvel. She's a view of the standard American version of the other. So that's being... I mean, these comics have always, Marvel comics has always been about exploring the other, exploring other people's viewpoints from, you know, away from these standard tropes. Right, right. And and it's interesting that that we kind of find ourselves centering around around Spider-Man. When I was a kid, um, the handful of friends I had who who read comics, one one of our ongoing jokes was that uh, when Peter Parker put on the suit, he, he got to know what it felt like to be black for a minute. <laughs> um, just because no matter what, what good he did, just being on the street got him shot at, right? there. Um, yeah, yeah. He was just trying to, to to be the good guy actually got him into as much trouble as um, walking away. Yeah. And yeah. bringing it back to the game, this entire game seems to be focused around the other, exploring that concept, is, whether it be the good guys trying to be outside of the normal the normal ex- environment where it, the environment is hostile toward them and the environment itself being the other where it sometimes the villains quote unquote are just misunderstood or have have things other than just world domination and quote unquote evil to to be their motivation so ev- everything in this game seems to be focused toward exploring the other it's it's exploring the other and um, also exploring the, the, the like, right? That, that, yeah. that at the end of the day, um, there's this interesting balance between individuality and kinship, right? Yeah. Um, this, this, this thought that, that as a person, I need to take responsible for you know, where I am um, and what's going on around me, um, but also as a member of, of, a, of an ever-growing family of people, an ever-growing community, that nothing I, I do is not going to affect them at, at some point. Um, and my, my, my story, regardless of, of how important I think it is to me, my story is still going to affect the other people around me. Right. Right. Um, so there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, and there's also, um, I think a bigger goal towards being seen that, um, there is, one of, one of, one of my, my, my big points in Edrigor is that there are so many places for us to disappear that we need to start playing, paying attention to the places where, where we are seen and creating places where we can be seen. That, you know, celebrating the moments in between as much as possible because, you know, the darkness is going to come again. So we might as well have a party. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So there, I think there, depending on well, who you are when you sit down with it, I think you're going to get um, a bunch of different responses to like what's important there. Um, and it's also certainly for me, one of the other things was changing the default lens, right? So a lot of the, the, the default lens for a lot of um, role-playing games is very much a um, Eurocentric um, point of view um, with, with, with pepperings of like an Abrahamic, um, morality system, right? Um, you know, there's demons and devils and there's, um, angels and there's, you know, those people who are, who are destined to, 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 you know, 
to rule. <laughs> and there's all, you know, there, 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 there's, there's all this stuff that kind of fits in, in a Eurocentric world of kings and queens and, and um, you know, God and country and whatnot. And then there's, um, but there are other ways of engaging the world, right? There, there are other narratives of, of, of relationship and um, community. And so Edrigor's, one of the goals in Edrigor was to kind of step away from um, that model while acknowledging that the model exists and saying, hey, there's a ton of models. And, um, but, there, but the default lens um, that we're looking at things with in Edrigor is not a model of who's going to be king or queen, um, not a model of who's the chosen one. Um, it's more a model of who's the responsible one <laughs> right now, um, who has to make, make the adjustment, and how do we save everybody? And so um, community is kind of puts um, more to the front. The idea that any one, part, any one person actually owns lands isn't really there except for um, with handfuls of communities that have become much more stable. And now they're beginning to fight over um, who, who actually owns, the, the, fight over the idea that someone can own lands and that some people are more important than other people. And just kind of watching some of, some of those problems arise because there's a certain level of comfort where, um, and, and that people have moving from a space of trauma to try to settle down and, and how that trauma is kind of still affecting how they, they built safety. There's a couple of fascinating things that I'm turning over in my head now. And, uh, the first one is, and I hope I get back to the second one. The first one is, uh, the idea that, I've been critical recently of those games like D&D and Pathfinder who kind of glorify a violence take all kind of uh, position in games where it's just like we're murder murder hobos that that whole theme that goes on not that I've stopped playing D&D not that I've stopped playing Pathfinder but I'm just kind of wary of that particular narrative and I heard you say earlier you know you did your best to make these non-racial um uh I guess, energies or creations that, that we're fighting against. And you also said, um, you know, yeah, you, you see the fight happen, but then you ask people to consider, well, where does it come from in the first place? Can you talk more about that in relation to the idea that I, I got the feeling, now this may be my own projection, but I got the feeling that you were talking about a nonviolent solution to the situation. Not well, well, considering the fact that there's like monsters you have to fight against every night, <laughs> um, there's certainly a, a certain level of violence there. But I think um, one of the things that the other games prioritize is the take, right? The collection of stuff um, that, that you are as powerful as, uh, um, as um, you know, the stuff you have, right? That, and it's kind of, it's kind of a, a raider culture mentality. And... Mm -hmm. um, Edugor kind of prioritizes the give. It's not what you can take. It's like what do you give to the space that that that, that makes a difference. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think I think that's I think that's central, and it's, it's a very subtle difference for a lot of people because, um, like I said, there there's there's still a certain level of violence. You still fight, right? There there's still the capacity to lose people um, in in the night. There's still the capacity for people to become bad people. Um, but the but the, the the goal isn't to like you know isn't to like raid everything and take everything and 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 be the one in charge because you've got the the the, the best toys. Um, 
that is not about your gold piece value of items, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it's 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 about your your narrative value of story, which is which is which is different. Um, and the important thing about the narrative value of your story is that your story absolutely cannot exist in the vacuum. You can't you can't have achieved what you what you have achieved without the other people around. So, um, so you, at some point, you need to give acknowledgement to them. And every time a player invokes a, um, a uh, an aspect, every time a player invokes one of, one of their um, um, their narratives, um, they're also invoking. Yeah, and this is a very very quiet um, addition in there. You're always invoking those who've come before you, right? You're you're on a certain level. You're acknowledging the space that exists because they have been there, and now you are you're you're the one carrying the torch. You're you are there's the grounding, um, in in your story. Does that make sense? Is that a yeah yeah? You're rooted in your past and you're addressing it. But you're not just rooted in your past. You're rooted in your past, and you're rooted in your future. the 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 past is what is helping you to kind of get into the tomorrow. And so the so the uh, and and again, this is this is something that kind of works its way into a lot of the work that I do. Um, there is often the idea that, that people bat around that that uh, there is no past or future. There's only the now. And the there's a there's something that pops up in some indigenous um, circles. The idea, and and I translate it into, it's not so much that there there is no past or no or, or, or no future. That those things are illusions. This is kind of the flip that the now is the illusion. The now is composed of where you've been and where you're going. And it's kind of like when you when you were a kid and you learned to walk, um, you start off walking by falling down a lot. And then you eventually, yeah. you eventually realize that there there is a, a a balance to be achieved where you just kind of shift your weight for, and and you begin this process of always leaving and always arriving. And the walk happens in the space in between those two things, and 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 with, without those two things, but without that 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 leaving energy and that arriving energy to kind of carry you forward, that the the places you're in right now just just falls down. And and you you can take you can you can take that metaphor as far as you want, but it's like all metaphors, at some point it breaks down, <laughs> and, and I'm aware of that. Well, no, but what I like about it is that it's not the same as D and D or Pathfinder or any of those, you know, uh, steal steal from others, you know, aggrandize myself kind of thing. That's that doesn't seem to be what Edgar is about, and so I, I like that. He, you can have the violence, you can have the battle, because I think that that's, that's a useful sort of tool for making the story meaningful. But the idea that we're not, you know, raiding other people's homes and taking people's stuff just because they are not the same as us, which I, I get caught in. I play D&D sometimes, and I'm, I'm like, well, why are we killing this particular race of people? What is it they, they did to us? Why? Why? Uh, and, and I think that a lot of the players around me get really annoyed with that because they're, <laughs> they're ready to kill. Um, well, did you, have you seen the, uh, the latest articles that D and D is looking toward removing all concept of good and evil from every single race in the game? No, no good, no good, no good races, <laughs> no bad races, just races with their own motivations. So they're moving toward, um, 
toward fixing that particular issue. That's interesting. That's fascinating. Okay. Which is fun. Which is funny because I've I've already stripped it out of that. You know, you meet you meet goblins. They're you know semi intelligent race because they're they're just at that evolutionary point, but they're neither good nor evil. They just raid because they're hungry and they don't have the technology necessary sometimes to do a lot of farming or to create things that we create. So there are some raids here and there, but it's not because they are evil per se, just sometimes opportunistic. Right. And, and again, I feel like there, there's an interesting balance to be, to be, to be sorted there, right. Where there is, um, there, I think there's a problem in that there are things that start off as monsters and then at some point they became people and monsters as opposed to just being monsters. Right. So if, if a, you know, a, a, a giant, I don't know, centipede starts rampaging through my, um, my village, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop and wonder about like, you know, what, what made that, that centipede so sad that it's like eating hundreds of us. <laughs> right. Um, I'm at some Just point. Give it a hug. <laughs> well, monsters aren't evil. They are predators. Right. They're predators. Yeah. And, 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 but then there's also, Cosmologically, I think that that every culture has some sense of of terrible things that make a person do terrible things, and there and 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 we want to um, personalize those things, so um, maybe on some level to, be, to better deal with them. So we want to call them demons. We want to call them. Uh, we want to call them. You know, angels if they are um, they're you know supposedly doing a positive thing. But but this idea to kind of separate those urges from ourselves and say that it's coming from this other space altogether. And so so there's this idea of like things that are absolutely good and absolutely evil. And I think that's an that's a it's an interesting um, metaphor play space to play with as long as we're all mindful of the fact that we're we're playing with an idea and not necessarily a truth, right? Um, that this isn't the reality of humanity. It's just you know it's it's a way of playing um with what where, what is this thing and where is it coming from and and the fact that so many games have kind of fallen into like this this kind of uh this collection of commercialized tropes to say this is the way um you separate this stuff um it, it makes it problematic and but but i also like the thought that there are um there are these other forces out there that a person can through a series of bad choices basically become a golem Right, that that um, you can you can get so wrapped up in your wounds that you that at that point you become so monstrous that there isn't really a path back for you, and and um, then we have to decide what do we do with that person? How does that person um, survive with, with, with within our community? Does that person survive in, within within our community? Do we do we ostracize them? Do we imprison them? Um, because at some point they have become so toxic that um, they're always going to be a problem. Yeah, kind of like a lich. Kind of like a lich. Like in Edrigor, we mm -hmm. have our, our versions of, of that, which are, there are these things called Dalagalans. And Dalagalans are these people who are, who have so given to the idea of having power over others that they reach for, towards these um, terrible spirits that are, that are apt, actively outside the world. Um, the force of creation said, no, no, y'all don't belong <laughs> um, because you're, you are troublesome thoughts. 
Um, and But some people say, oh, there's power in those troublesome thoughts. I'm going to give myself to that. And they collect enough of them. They literally swap heads, right? They'll, they'll cut their, they'll, their heads are cut off and replaced with the heads of others who've given themselves um, to the, um, to, to these destructive urges. And they walk around with all these heads kind of chained to, um, to their bodies, but they'll, but they'll never know where their own head is anymore. Right. Um, because they've so given themselves up to this turmoil. Um, there is, you know, those are like our liches, right? Those are our death knights. And they're, they're, they're that way, not so much because they are evil all at once. Um, they're that way because they, they were so hungry for, um, to fix something inside of them that they were never, um, they were always looking for an outside source to do it and always trying to lift themselves up over other people in the process. They have bought this idea that they are disposable people and they've given themselves to figuring out a way to, for themselves not to be disposable, but they got so deep into it that now they are, they are, um, they're toxic, they're destructive. And, and um, even some of them can't even be reasoned with because they, they've, they've gotten so toxic and destructive. And so, I guess uh, something else I'd like to touch on that that, uh, that when we were talking about things like D and D in relation to that disposability of people is that um, and I've played a, I've played a, a ton of Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder and you know I have a an old love for those games but mm -hmm. there there is inherently a hierarchy built into the structures of the game so that as people become more powerful other people stop counting. Right when 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 you're at twentieth level or or in God, you know God forbid you're playing at the epic spaces and you're like thirtieth or fortieth level, um, the the needs of you know a, a common villager don't barely even matter to you as, as as a being because you you've got so much. And 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 the the sense of who you are and 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 what you are has grown grown so out of connection with where everybody else is at that you can't even really be around these kind of people anymore right if you were if you're like you know some crazy high level wizard you've made so many you've got so many big magics that you know you know if you sneeze in your sleep you might wipe everybody out <laughs> um but there there is a the way the levels work is that they i feel like they inherently kind of slowly remove you from connection to everything else around you um because it is very much a hyper individualistic um, structure that says I'm what's going on with me right now is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Games, games, let us practice things that we, that we're not always able to in, in real life. And like we're living in, you know, I, th I think the whole world is in this position, but definitely in the United States, like, um, the idea of, of, you know, uh, races being better than one another, um, is, uh, some people believe that, but also labels like Republican or Democrat. Like some people believe that that label encompasses all of the people who are in that one particular group. And I, I believe that, you know, being able to practice these ideas, even something like in D and D just saying like, Hey, we're going to change that <laughs> so that, you know, these large groups of people that we used to, or beings that we used to identify before, they're not all one thing. Um, the more we can practice that in any space is is incredible and and what you just mentioned about you know people getting to a point where they have so much that other people don't matter or you see the world completely differently 
the truth is that currently in the United States, most of us, and in, and especially in the rest of the world, most people will never uh, have so much that they don't, <laughs> that they forget what other people are like. Uh, that's that's um, reserved for a select few. That doesn't mean that as we level up, quote unquote, in real life, um, we don't forget uh, what other people are experiencing because because that's the system we we live in. So I I love seeing uh, even just having these conversations about oh yeah well what if we did that differently or what if we do this and even if you don't say what it is <laughs> right like the the what it's analogous to in in real life I believe that the practice of that um, is is so important and can can have a real effect on on how we see the world outside of the game. Oh, absolutely. And, and also just kind of the idea that there isn't a default human, right? There isn't yeah. a default morality that is the right one. Yeah. And there, the, the, there are, there's variances, right? There's a spectrum. There's a diaspora. Yeah. yeah. You know, this idea of hierarchy, I'm going to try to pull all these threads together at once that I'm holding on to and see if I can. Good uh, luck, Woody. That, yeah. So the first one is uh, you talked about hierarchy, and I immediately had this vision of being in the world of Final Fantasy fourteen, and uh, the people that are really high level are on these you know great beasts. They're riding through the town. They're watching other people fight, but they're not getting involved in that fight whatsoever because this is below me now. I may have gone through that, but this is not part of my reality anymore. I'm just going to pass right on through it to go on to my quest. I'm much more concerned about what I've got to do. You do you, I'll do me, you know, that, that kind of thing. And so hierarchy gets, uh, gets encoded into our games in that way. And a lot of, uh, kind of talk in the world now, and I'm not, I don't even remember which particular governor or whoever said it, but the notion that we need to go through this colonization phase, this hierarchy phase, in order to get to some other phase. Like there's some kind of developmental evolution that we are on and trying to to meet the moment now so that we are, you know, we've passed through all these phases of our lives. And I know many people are, are uh, disenchanted with that particular point of view because it basically just minimizes the struggle and pain that a lot of people have gone through. But we even just said it with D&D &D, that there's this almost evolutional process like we started with, you know, murder hobo and the different things we've gone along to create story along the way in D&D. Now we're getting up to the point where we're kind of getting rid of the idea of alignments, which is a fascinating concept. I just wonder if in your view, what, where are we at? Because you talked about landowning. And I, I thought about this as being another sort of developmental process you know, once we get to the point where we're no longer being chased by winter and we've kind of taken care of our basic needs and we're holding fast in one space, now we're in a different way of thinking than we've ever been before. So that's kind of an, a cultural evolutionary state. Is, is it necessary to have ownership? Is it necessary to have hierarchy in order to, to continue on to whatever our evolutionary phase might be? Hmm. So... I think that I don't know if it's necessary or if it's just kind of a natural. Um, there are certain levels of it I think that are natural, right? That, um, but what, I think the problem is when that hierarchy is out of relationship with everything else around it. So as a difference, like in, yeah. in our world, we have lots of hierarchies, but we don't necessarily have rites of passage um, that let people know what their responsibilities are with with the newfound power that, that they have access to right you, you just get celebrated for your power um yeah. 
and it, it gets us to a point where we we eventually wind up celebrating extremism. So everyone wants everyone on, uh, on one side we talk about how much damage the greatest business people in the world are doing um, to the world. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other end, um, we're often pushing our kids um, into a capitalist structure saying, hey, um, you know, it, maybe one day you'll be a CEO. <laughs> but <laughs> but, in, but in, inherently, there's a problem with that. And, and I think there, there is this, there's this love affair we have with, with, with the idea of, of pain and damage and struggle um where we, we presume that if you if you go through all this ter all this terrible stuff um it's it's the thing that makes you stronger so you kind of have to have the terrible to become strong and once you're strong you have no responsibility to go back and deal with the terrible anymore um and and that's i think that's an interesting thing that shows up especially in a lot of massively multiplayer role-playing games that very thing you're talking about in final fantasy 14 where um, the mighty person sits back and watches um, the less mighty person struggle with stuff. Um, not not only is there a structure that says I'm better than that, I don't have to deal with it. There's also a structure that says you shouldn't deal with it because you stepping in is actually going to reduce the the resources that they get out of that out of the interaction. Yeah, that's right. Because you you shouldn't be there. <laughs> you, they don't get the same credit for their battle anymore. Don't don't you dare help them. Be, and if they die, it's because they weren't good enough. They weren't high enough level. And blah blah blah. It's very much a victim blaming situation, um, as opposed to, as opposed to creating structures that say, all right, um, maybe you. What what if the the role playing um, the massive multiplayer role playing games were such that um, is less about guilds and more about how much you're actively engaging with other people around you. If I if I if I took a whole bunch of lower level people on raids. Um, um, maybe there's, there's actually a benefit to me for, for doing that. And if I'm not doing that and I'm high level, um, maybe there, there's, there's actually something that slowly, um, degrades over time that, that, if, if, that, that encourages me to actually get back there and get involved with people who are in those spaces I've already been in. Um, but there's also this weirdness of, and, and this is just, I think an issue of, um, the, the limitations of the technology. But there's this weirdness of a lack of persistence on the world, right? You do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and all the awesome stuff you did today is going to reset tomorrow. <laughs> and, <Yes. laughs> and so you get, you get to a point where the struggle becomes a mundane thing, right? People are lined up to actually suffer. <laughs> so that so that they can actually open the chest no one's actually trying to fix the fix the bigger problem that causes this no one's even asking where where are all these dragons coming from all all they're concerned with is like well we have to we all have to line up to take our turn in beating that dragon but it's going to come back well and there, and there's no uh, allowance within the game to say oh well actually let's go and uh fix the thing that's making it in the first place that's not what you do, because that's that robs everybody else of adventure. <laughs> that robs them of yeah. their chance to be broken. Um, and so, so, so there is, I think, in the structure of of rule systems, we have to be mindful of the economies that we create, because we affirm culture and those structures. 
you know, and, and a very quiet affirmation. It's, it's not a, a um, no one's coming, hitting you over the head with, with, head with a sledgehammer saying this is how, how it is. It's, but there is a, a slow metabolizing as you, as you repeat the process over and over and over. And then you get to a point where you accept that this is just kind of the way it is. Um, I think most people are really good at recognizing that certain things happen within the fantasy of the game, that some certain things happen within the boundaries of the game. And then we go out into the real world, the real world is the real world. But there are, but I think as we engage in certain narratives over and over again, there's a bleed that happens that goes from those narratives into our, our real world. And we, mm-hmm. um, we, we have these very quiet social um, agreements that, that we buy into that are, that are affected and affirmed in, in our fantasy and play spaces. And conversely, there are sometimes things in the real world that we are not um, able to actually face and deal with. And so we can actually um, create fantasy and play spaces that allow us to, to take power over those things that we feel like we're powerless for against in the real world. Um, but if we're not careful, I think we can wind up creating um, a very quiet narrative that that quietly um, suggests to us that you can't actually get power over this in the real world. So the only place you can engage it is in this fantasy space. In in defense of Final Fantasy fourteen, it does encourage higher level players to help uh, lower level players. But um, but but to to everything you're saying, uh, it's you're just trying to make them. You're just trying to help people move through the suffering faster <laughs> or skip it a little bit, but it doesn't eliminate the suffering or the fact that you can't help everybody. Therefore, someone will always suffer and you're likely going to choose who you help. And that's probably going to be your friends or the people who speak your own language or et cetera. It's um, yeah. Yeah. When you talked about the, the past, the, the, the future and the, and the now, right. It's like, well, I don't, I don't like to answer your question, Woody, or, or or engage with it. I don't, I don't think that we have to um, do everything the same again to get to where we want to go. We do, like Alan pointed out, but um, I don't think we have to. And 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 knowing that how how it happened, one possibility is that we know how to do it differently, right? Or we know what not to do <laughs> to avoid suffering and all of that. But unfortunately the the easiest solution is always to well let's let's do it again you know and and like like i don't know if you're referring to like senator tom cotton who was like slavery was a necessary evil it's like are you serious are you what so does that mean like another country you know um who is like you know maybe still developing uh economically is like oh yeah that's what we should do we should just do that yeah, I guess that's step three and four. Okay, we'll do that. It's like, no, no, no. We've come beyond that. We know better or we, we know differently. Uh, I will say that <laughs> when the founding fathers made the Constitution, it was viewed as a necessary evil. Whether it was or not is up for debate. Very strong debate where I have a very clear um, impression of the truth. But they decided they also decided that it wasn't cons- it wasn't going to be a necessary evil in the future they were they they wanted america to wean themselves off of it it's just that uh the south doesn't wean themselves very well as we've learned with the mask debate <laughs> <laughs> i just love the way you put that i'm sorry brian is reporting in from georgia yeah 
I'm hunkered down here with him. I understand. Well, what are, yeah, a lot of things people are saying these days has me thinking, are you freaking serious? Please tell me you're not serious. Well, then what, you know, based on all the things we're saying, it, it does it become the responsibility of the creator to seek out ways to uh, get rid of the status quo, knowing that the status quo is not where we're really where we'd like to be as a culture right now? Um, is it like as you as a game designer, do you feel like it's your role to change culture through gameplay, through narrative, through the things that you're doing in your life? Um, no, I think it's my role to create conversations. Yeah. And so I like to think of, of play and uh, uh, games is parable, right? Play is parable and it, it is punctuation. And so, and, and this, this is something I say often to people that the game is there to either begin a conversation or end a conversation. But the game itself is the vehicle for the conversation. Um, but the people have to have the conversation. Um, and, and with that said, not, I don't think every game has to be about, um, I mean, as a creator, every game I make doesn't have to be about any, any one of these things. Um, but they are a manifestation of where I'm at and that yeah. I'm, I'm having these conversations. And so I'm create I'm, I'm invariably going to create things that speak to the conversations that I'm having. And I think that's the, um, kind of the inherent nature of being, a, um, a game maker is that whenever you sit down to make a game, you, you've already got a conversation in your head. You've already got a thing that you're working with and you're trying to create a, a space to engage that thing. You know, if, 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 if that thing was, you know, it can be as simple as what if the Napoleonic Wars turned out this way? <laughs> um, it can, you know, but it can be as complex as what if we defunded, um, um, police structures and, and restructure them a different way, what would that look like? So I, I, what I think is, is important is the capacity to create a space that's on the other side of the question. So if, um, and that's the, I think that's the wonderful nature of fantasy is that we can posit a question and then imagine what it, assuming that we get to the other side of, of the thing, um, what does it look like on the, on the other side? And, and then how do we create new social spaces on the other side? The other side can be um, positive or good. So it could be like, you know, what if, what if um, the inherent ideas of fascism became um, the, um, the de facto rules we were living under, right? So what is, what does society look like on the other side of that question? You know, what are the problems? Well, what, what, what are, what are the poisons that, that, that show up? Um, on, on, the, on the other side, what if, what if we, we decided that mental health was um, more more important than punitive um, responses? And, mm -hmm. and then we created a space where people got to play with that. Um, but I think there, I, I, I do believe, um, and I've had this also from conversations I've had with other people, um, particularly um, my friend and colleague, Doris Roosh, um, who's, uh, who wrote the book Deep Games and she, um, She's out in Sweden teaching um, game design. And that is, we have to be really careful. We have to be really careful about this notion that we can make games that change people. 
because if we can if we can make games that actually change people then we open the door to a dark art right um we we we're now telling people that people can actually be programmed by play and and if i'm always sitting down to program people with play then i'm then i'm already presuming um a power structure and i'm already imposing a power structure and i'm actively changing people and that's not necessarily with their consent so the 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 need has to be the the goal has to be less about changing people than it is um about shining lights on things and saying hey what happens if you pick that up mm. so i so i guess one of my my variations of this is um i i, I play around with decks of cards I, I love i love the um the physical ritual that comes with uh, a deck of cards right there's just a process of of pulling something off of a deck and and revealing something there there there, there are like these interesting aha moments that happen inside of us as we move cards around they're they're so tactile and um so i've got these this this i'm actually on my, on my second version of it but um there's decks of cards where the goal is to sit with someone and then have them look at the image on, on the cards and um watch what they do with it and then ask them why did you do that mm. not so so it, it kind of takes some of the the physical rituals of something like tarot or like an oracle card but it said but says hey these these cards have absolutely absolutely no power they're just things but you are responding to them as though they have some effect on you they are activating memories in you um what can we enter a space can we um where you are the participant who is who is engaging with the cards and I am solely there as a witness. I'm not there to get any any power over you. I'm there to ask you um, to pay attention to yourself. So, so if you've picked up a particularly a picture that has like a particularly gnarly tree um, that's that looks like it's got some kind of fungal burn on it, and you're like, oh, and you 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 put it far away from the other cards, my role as a witness is to say what what's what's going on there. Why did that bother you? What does it remind you of? What story was activated by by that image? Or um, when you flipped that over and it went from being something that was happy to, to, to something that made you feel sad, what, 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 got, what got activated there? And so I'm not there to to um, translate it into a truth, right? I'm not there to say, right. oh, this means that, you know, you've got a terrible relationship with your parents and do some kind of, you know, um, cycle analyst analysis of the person um my goal is to to just make the space and then let you have a conversation um show you the things that i noticed you're doing um for, as as a as a perspective outside of you and then add then ask you to ask yourself why did you do that from a perspective of inside of you and then let you come to your own solution and i think that's the uh that's the uh, the thing that's tough is, is is allowance, right? Saying, hey, um, you're going to come to it. Um, you're going to come to a decision. You're going to come to an understanding. It doesn't have to be the one that that, that I have. Um, the only problem is when that understanding um, threatens my existence. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So if you're coming to an understanding that says, oh wait, the problem is is you know, I don't know. 
people from the north. The problem is Tutsis. The problem is is Jewish people. The problem is whatever. And I decide those people need that I need to fix that problem. You know, if if and and, and by fixing the problem, it means removing those people, or um, putting those people into extremely marginalized spaces such that they become self-destructive, um, then we, 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 we have a bigger problem that needs to be, to be dealt with. I, I, uh, I'm fond of, you know, there's that, that proverb, um, that's saying that it takes, it takes an entire village to raise a child. Um, I also like to say it takes an entire village to make a ghetto, right? It takes everybody looking away. Um, to create yeah. a place where where a, a handful of people are always suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you were saying earlier that you don't like the idea of a game being used to affect change. I. Th- this is coming from an English teacher. Me and my me and my uh, thesaurus of language. I like to think of it as games can be used to allow for and encourage revelatory and transformative experiences not to not to try to force them but to allow that to better happen to kind of grease the wheels in a way yeah and that's totally what i'm saying is that um that allowance in my mind is is creating spaces for the conversations and creating the spaces for people to um practice interactions and all that but it's it's not and so that so I'm, I'm a hearty yes to that. Um, <laughs> I am I am a I'm a wincing no to the thought of hey come in here so um, go over here and play game X where you'll be reprogrammed to be a good citizen. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah that that's dangerous. That's a little more Orwellian. But but and, then and, and that's that that is that's the dark side of this process that someone invariably will will um realize oh wait there are buttons we can press in people with, with this stuff right i mean you you see it you know like in, in the video game world you see it in the adver gamings right where i'm sure we've all played the game or some of some of the um the free-to-play games where you, you're given just enough and then to continue um an appetite has been set in you and then they take stuff away and say, oh, but now you need to press this button and pay this money and we'll give you some more. And so, <laughs> you know, we, we wound up be, being spoon fed and and um, and all, all of our addictive personality buttons get pre- get pressed. And even those who don't necessarily have an addictive personality, if you press that button long enough, you're going to get a response. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I play uh, Empires and Puzzles and yeah, that, that, tw- that tweaks that little segment of my brain the in the in the games for social impact and education there's this conversation is always going on right and i've spoken to so many people and and you see it constantly it's like you try to make a game for social impact or you try to make an educational game and it's very hard to make something that is effective at what you uh, on purpose and like when you when that's your mission and yet media does program us um, whether the 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 it's the creator's intent or not, these ideas, especially if you only see the same idea repeating over and over and over and over again, and that's why, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, love I, I would even compare that to, you know, how there there's so many movies about like um, how the 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 thought that the Catholic Church has like all of these um, priests 
running around who specialize in dealing with possessions. And the possession is like the big, is, is the big monster of the spiritual world. And like in the old days of, of, um, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing in on like the Catholic church. There was less about the idea of possession and more the idea of obsession, right? That there, that there were beings who would poke you with an idea and they would just keep poking that idea until you acted it out. Right. They were not, they were not actively controlling you. They were just in your space. And I think, um, media can be, um, can be like that where it, it doesn't actually control you, but if you, um, douse yourself for long enough, um, in a particular idea, you're going to be soaked with it. Yeah. Another religious example is like that Adam and Eve and Jesus were white and blue eyed and <laughs> things like that. It's like, well, that's not possible. I don't think. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's crazy narrative, and and uh, well, the, the narrative is used, is used to create a space. And in that space, we 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 entertain another narrative, and and it, I think if we're not careful, we can metabolize a, a narrative as truth, regardless of whether or not it is truth. I mean, look, yeah. look at. Well, let me back up. <clears throat> the, 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 uh, regardless of whether or not it is truth, if it gives us a sense of power over our own situation. Um, and so I, I would compare that to, I've just made this, this crazy uh, earlier this week, this crazy Facebook rant <laughs> <laughs> um, about people and sp conspiracy theories. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing so many people online, people that I thought were smarter, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. who are just <laughs> going down some of these these nutty rabbit holes. They're not even rabbit holes. They're like I don't know, vole holes, snake holes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, um, but part of it is a reaction to feeling like everything is so out of control that you want to have, you want to have a sense of knowing something that you can have control over something. And if you can, again, take all the problematic stuff and point it towards this monolithic thing that you really can't fix, but, but you get the one who says, there's a dragon over there. Um, then you feel important. Yeah. And, and just the performance of saying, Hey, I identified a dragon makes a lot of people go, Oh, wow. That person is really smart because they identified a dragon. I should stick with them. And so it's an opportunity to build a cult of personality around yourself because um, um, people people now trust you because you identify the dragon, and um, and it just becomes like this this slow cascade of of weird ego stuff, but it's all coming from 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 a space of I want to create a space that's safe for me. I don't even necessarily care about making a safe space that's safe for you. I want to say I know that I can uh, that I can affect and that I can make a difference here. Um, and, and it's more in some cases about the performance than the actual result. Right, it's like I, I said, you know, to a, a bunch of friends, like, Hey, you know, we can, we can shout all day about all this Epstein stuff, but if you really, really give a crap about child trafficking, <laughs> then you'll get up and start doing some work, you know, on the streets and looking out for people and helping to change policy and whatnot. But but shouting about like you know you know the, some monolithic organization doing all this terrible stuff that you have no capacity to to make a change on, um, what's that's masturbatory? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. So 
Alan, this has been a fantastic conversation and I'm really devastated to turn it off because I feel like we could talk about so much more information and I want to thank you for coming on and, and talking to us, you know, as far as we got. Uh, if people want to find your work, if they want to find Edrigor, they can go to council, that's C-O-U-N-C-I-L, dash of dash fools dot com. That's where that's where your website is and, and all of your information, right? I, I keep all this stuff there. And even it's in the, in the process of, of fluctuation because when I started all that stuff, I was very much a, a, a dude making games. And <laughs> um, as I made those games, those games um, activated conversations for myself. And now the nature of that site's even changing because now it's becoming more and more a place where I'm just I'm saying, hey, what if? And playing with it yeah. in, all, in all sorts of media. So it's, it's, it's my game stuff. It's my music stuff. It's my um, writing stuff. It's all kinds of things. So be prepared to kind of step into a, uh, um, a, a mess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting mess. I like to think. It, it is most definitely an interesting mess. I I've looked at all the things that you've got coming up and going on and I, I'm really excited to learn more. Awesome. Thank you. It's been a delight to talk to you all. I look for, hopefully we can do this again at some point. I would love that. And if you ever just want to run a game of Edrigor for us, I'm sure that all three of us would say, yeah, we'll play. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Make sure you go and check out Alan's website and keep on rolling for change. Indeed. Roll them bones. Be well, everybody. Look out for each other. Thanks for joining us for Rolling for Change. We're a proud member of the Geek Therapy Network. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach us by the email gamers at rollingforchange.com. You can also find us over at Geek Therapy Discord at geektherapy.com forward slash discord. Our theme music comes from the band Rocket Scientists. If you want to hear more of this amazing band, you can find them at bandcamp.com forward slash rocket scientists. I recommend listening to the album Revolution Road a double album with some of their most infectious music. We look forward to seeing you next time. Keep on rolling for change. Mm-hmm.